0: Let's start with the splashiest news first. Ah, it was like a crazy run. You have someone like Dave Portnoy, who was known as this pugnacious, loudmouth guy. Were you ever worried that would taint you in any way? There is no one from the Walt Disney Company who's calling me. What is next for you? Don't tell me you haven't thought about it. I have thought about it. Um... Hi, I'm Ruth Umo, leadership editor and host of Fortune Executive Exchange. Fresh off her exit from Barstool Sports, former CEO Erica ayers badan sits down with me to discuss her nearly decade-long run as one of the most powerful women in sports media. So
1: Your Stanley is looking I'm, at you lovingly. Stanley my dog. <laughs> <laughs> That's,
0: That's all a girl needs. Welcome, Erica. Delighted to have you on Fortune Executive Exchange. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. Let's start with the splashiest news first. You've officially left Barstool Sports. I have. Why? Oh, it was
1: like a crazy run. Um, I was up at like three in the morning last night and I was like, God, like, how does it feel not being there? And I'm like, I don't have to worry about them as much. So, you know, it it was a wild run. I was there almost a decade, which in media for a CEO to be around almost a decade is fairly rare. Yeah, we built the company from, you know, five million dollars in revenue, probably 15 people, one office to nearly 300 million dollars in revenue, massive audience, massive expansion of the brand and the business. And I really honestly felt like any everything I had wanted to accomplish there, we did and then some and everything I hoped to learn, you know, I learned and then some and I still I'm very hungry and I want to do a lot of things. And I felt like, gosh, now is the time to do that.
0: We'll circle back on the growth shortly, but why now in particular?
1: Now in particular is a great question. So we sold the company to Penn Entertainment in February for 550 million. And that there was a huge lead up to that, multi-year lead up to that that happened in february in august we i bought the company back for dave portnoy the founder and that really when i looked at the summation of my career and job i was like that, i'm never going to top this like this is as weird and as wild as it gets and i felt very strongly that the company needed to get back to profitability barstool had always been profitable prior to the acquisition um, After the acquisition, it was kind of loaded, loaded it up with a bunch of costs for pen and for what we were trying to do together and all this kind of stuff. So I got the company like back up right. And then I really looked at it and I, I was like one for me personally, I came here to grow it and build it. I'm not going to top that year ever. Um, and two, I couldn't, um, I started to really only see short-term things for myself, if that makes sense. Like I was like, what do I want to accomplish? And I was like, all right, I want to get it back to profitability. And then after that, I didn't have a good answer. Like I didn't have the like, oh, I'm going to go take on this or take on that. And I feel like for in general, you know, for anyone in their career, when you get to that point where you're like, what else scares me? Where's my vision taking me? What else can I accomplish? And the answer is like, I'm pretty happy with what we've gotten to.
0: It's a good time to move on. 10 years is, you know, no easy feat, certainly in media. Mm -hmm. You've invested quite a bit of time. The day after you made the announcement, let's say the first day when you were fun-employed. Okay, fun-employed, I love that. What was the feeling there? Oh, I was like so lost. I was like, I don't even know, like I've been coming into,
1: I still ride the same train that I was riding when I had a job. Um, So it's hard to break that habit. Do you know what I mean? I'm still in the habit, but... You know, I'm involved in a lot of boards. I'm actively involved in a couple of those companies. I'm very curious about what's happening in the media space in general and in the consumer space at large. So it was kind of, you know, woke up and I was like, where am I? What am I doing? Um, where am I going with my life? And, and then it was also like, OK, I'm busy. I have 10 meetings today of stuff I want to figure out.
0: I'm sure you're uh, probably in a pensive, reflective mm-hmm. mood at this point in time, but I do want to hearken to the beginning yeah. of your trajectory with Barstool Sports, because when I think about Barstool's audience, I envision it as these like fratty, beer-slugging bros um, who love a good tailgate, they obviously love sports. What attracted you to Barstool Sports to begin with?
1: I think the funny thing about Barstool is how big it is and also how confusing it is. and there is certainly that the audience of like, I'm a college kid. I'm going to drink 3000 high noons this weekend and go party as much as I can and take as much clothing off as humanly possible. Like we definitely talk to that group all day long. Um, but there's also a lot of other groups we talk to or Barstool talks to, you know, it's, it's pardon my take, which is the number one sports podcast. And it's, 55-year-old dads and 17-year-old kids that are listening to it. Or it's Brianna Chicken Fry and Plan Bree and she's speaking to really a TikTok first audience, a female audience, there's chicks in the office. What attracted me to Barstool in the first place was um, I was working in music. I had left um, my job as a CMO of AOL. I really felt that music artists did not, were not harnessing the their own assets so they didn't own their data they didn't control their monetization they didn't monetize their social following but when you looked at social media and this was like 2012 2013 twitter was monetizing all of justin bieber's fans or facebook was monetizing all of you know insert x huge star like i'll use justin as the example facebook is monetizing his audience they're creating clusters they're selling those clusters to advertisers the music artists have no, none of that data and they don't control the pathway to their audience. They're totally dependent on a third-party platform and I really felt that music artists could control more of their destiny if they owned more of their data, if they had a direct-to-consumer relationship themselves, if they owned their own platform or were on a platform where they could have long-term control and I modeled a lot of it after Barstool. So I read Barstool because I lived in Barstool. I lived in Boston when Dave Portnoy created it, and the fan base was really rabid. And what was so smart about it was, someone would write a blog. In this case, it was about Deflate Gate and the Patriots and Tom Brady. And then there was a free Brady T-shirt at the bottom of the blog. And. I remember one summer i like bought four t-shirts and i was like god if you can get me to buy four free free brady t-shirts from reading a vlog like imagine what justin bieber could do with the purpose tour and the purpose album and his lyrics so i was always interested in barstool i read barstool when i was you know after you know college barstool started in 2004 i lived in boston i worked at fidelity like i would read it on the train um, so I always had an affinity to it. I think it has a very New England sense of humor. Um, and then I also felt like it was so janky and the tech was terrible and everything was misspelled. And that was kind of part of the, it was down market. Like that was part of the charm. But I really felt like they could, they needed things that I knew how to do. And this was a place that nobody was looking at. Like no major or mainstream media outlet, publication, you name it, was like, ooh, barstool sports could be huge. And so I felt, for me personally, it was a chance that I was not going to get anywhere else.
0: What's unique about the New England sense of humor? Oh, I love, are you from New England? I'm not, I'm from Maryland. Okay. Mid-Atlantic.
1: That crazy flag. I mean, I do not get the Maryland flag. A lot of colors, a lot of patterns. There's a lot of patterns and colors. Pure chaos. Every time I meet. Yeah, it is, right? It's such a funny flag. I'm just like, oh my God, it's like a hangover. It's like a flag. But um, I think New England's sense of humor, my mom has a very wicked sense of humor. And I feel like New England's sense of humor is like kind of dry very self-deprecating, kind of snarky. That's how I would describe it.
0: Well, speaking of characterizations, you described the fans as rabid. Mm -hmm. Most people would run from that, not to that. Um, You're obviously a woman at the helm of this organization. So just describe that experience.
1: Yeah. Um, So when I got to Barstool, um, the Chairman Group had bought a majority stake in the company. Dave was looking for a CEO. I think it's a little bit of a dangerous time. Like I remember around that same time going to talk to the skim and I went to talk to all these companies and I think one is Going into a situation like that, does the founder really want a CEO? That's always like a huge question. The second question was like, God, there was this like crazy audience. I came from places like AOL and Microsoft and Yahoo that are so far from their audience, like you don't feel it. And the thing with Barstool is you felt it and you felt it instantly. And I saw that in music. Music fans are, or people feel the same way about musicians and athletes that really they, they exhibited with barstool where you root for them you love them you hate them you're obsessed with them you criticize them you second guess them you think about them you feel like you know them and barstool had all of that without the fans i don't think barstool would ever be what it is today and i don't think i would have ever had a chance to build what we built but it's a different it's a different world and it's it's a little jarring like You know, I go to a restaurant now, like I always face the corner because I'm like, you just don't and I'm not used to that. I was never public. I never wanted to be public. So it's the feeling of familiarity that people have with Barstool and with people who work at Barstool is undeniably a huge part of the success. Making people see the process being um, fallible, not being human, being flawed is, I think, a big part of Barstool's success inviting fans in and fans carry the message in a way that I just don't I just don't see that happening anywhere really outside of music I guess or maybe the Kardashians but it was just very alive and it was it was a lot to get used to. Yeah. Like, I don't think I'll ever get used to it.
0: Was there a gendered experience? Because obviously you've had lead marketing roles at a mm-hmm. number of companies, you know, Microsoft, AOL, you already mentioned. Mm-hmm. Um, this is quite different. Yeah. And also you think about the fan base and the demographics. Totally. you said, yes, it's become far, uh, they're, they're far more women. Yeah. Um, but I assume, presumably, it's still very heavily male skewed. Yeah, definitely. Yeah.
1: I think, um, it's weird, I would say Barstool was the only job where I did not think about my gender. Like, I felt working at big companies in tech, like there was so much sexism. There was, it was easy to be patronized or objectified or whatever, but it was just never talked about. Like it, everything was so quiet and everything bad happened, either was never said or happened behind closed doors. And the thing that was crazy about Barstool is like, A, everything was out there. So like anytime anybody said anything questionable or objectionable or offensive, or it just all played out in the social. It played out instantaneously. It was not controllable. Um, But I really felt when I joined, I just didn't, I, I knew nothing when I joined. And I, you know, I'm very grateful that Dave, welcomed me in kind of to my point about founders like sometimes founders say they want a business person or they say they want someone to help them and then they actually get them in there and they're like i just want to kill you
0: Hmm, sounds like Uh, twitter exactly (laughs)
1: um sounds like a lot of companies um but the other piece of it is the you know at the time it was all guys who worked at barstool you know they were also very open to me and I was open to them and I was always we were really clear about I'm here to protect you and grow you and push you and challenge you um, and teach you all I know and I'm here to learn as much as I can and it was a good it was a good partnership that way. I can remember we hired this intern in I don't know the summer of probably it was like 2017 or 2018 and that was a male intern in Indianapolis and he was harassing a female talent in New York and he called himself the cervix killer, which is really just a ridiculous thing to call yourself. Like what woman wants that? Okay, first of all, like it just was preposterous. Um, And he was sending her DMs, he was DMing her. And to her credit is she texted me I think she probably texted dave she saved all the dms and then she blasted him on twitter and she she posted all the dms on twitter he was fired by the time i think i got them at 7 a.m when i got on the train he was fired by the time i got off the train which was 7 50. um and it it worked out it resolved we talked about it we made content about it and it was taken care of and i i actually really liked that because it was Every, the nature of everything being out there made it very immediate and it made the actions very decisive.
0: Yeah. It's interesting that you, you know, you cover the news, but you also make yourself the news at the yes. same time. Yep. When you were initially topped off for the CEO appointment, what was your mandate? Was it essentially to be the grown-up in the room, the Cheryl Sandberg, so to speak, to bring oh, structure? Probably. Yeah. Yeah, it was like yeah. they didn't when I got there, they yeah.
1: didn't have a PL. The chairman the Chairman folks, the Chernen guys were in California and I think they were like, oh, my God, like, can somebody just come like deal with this? Um, and they were looking for, you know, a grown up in the room. They wanted someone to grow the business. Um, they wanted a return on their investment. They wanted a PL. There was no p They wanted someone to like sift through and figure out things. And, you know, to their credit, they they gave me a lot of latitude to
0: do that. Where do you begin? The rope is almost so long you can oh, so long. hang yourself with it. Yeah,
1: 100% it. easily. And like we also stepped in it every six minutes, so it was like um, it it was a lot. Um, like I can remember we someone wrote a blog about Michelle Obama being thick, and um, I can remember being like in the bowels of Grand Central and Peter Channing calling me and. A, I had to explain like what thick was and why it was a compliment to Michelle Obama, but then also like, what should he say to the Obamas? And it was like, oh my God, what are, what are we doing here? Um, but they did give me a lot of rope. And I think, you know, the good thing, I think that I was able to bring is we built the business very profitably and we built it very in a very scrappy way. A lot of what I see now when I go look at companies or I dig into companies is, They just don't know how to run without spending a lot of money and there's a lot of overhead and we just never had any of that. What I really liked going into Barstool was I liked that there was no legacy. There wasn't anything, the only legacy was making people laugh and making the content, but there wasn't, you know, I got to AOL, it was like, oh my God, we gotta like rebuild everything here and teaching people how to make do with less is way harder than giving people who have nothing just a little bit more.
0: I want to zero in on uh, you know your your business prowess shortly, but there's a comment you've made a couple of times just discussing the fact that some friends, I wouldn't say Lamb Bassett, maybe ostracized you oh, for yeah. taking on this yeah, role. Definitely. How so and what, what um, do you think that is?
1: Look, I think, um, when I joined Barstool, Barstool had a pretty bad rap. You know, you could argue Barstool still has a bad rap, but it has a really big rap. And the number of advocates and champions that the company had in media, in the establishment and in tech was non nonexistent. Um, and so when I joined, people were like, oh, you know, you're committing career suicide. Like you had this big job. You were the CMO of AOL like you had it. And like, now what is she doing, you know? And I think um, I also also disappeared into the job, which, you know, it was required. There was no other way out of this gig than to just completely dive in. But look, I think it was misunderstood. I still think to a degree the company is misunderstood, but my decision to do it was kind of confounding. And it's ironic. In 2016, people weren't like, oh, you know, I had my friend Erica went to go be the CEO of Barstool Sports. They were like, oh, I don't know what she's doing now. They're like, oh, hey, can you get my kid an internship? But um, I think it was misunderstood. I think it wasn't seen as
0: premium. Is that easy to say in hindsight now that you can you have bragging rights? Oh, no, i mean, at the time like, did you internalize it? Were oh, you apprehensive I'm at pets. all? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And upset.
1: You know, I blocked all those people on my phone. I still don't talk to those people to this day. Like I really you were with me or against me in when I made that decision. And I will always remember the people that stayed with me. And I also remember the people who weren't. And honestly, it, it's it hurt. it was it like smarted. Is that the word it hurt? It stung at the beginning. You know, I, was, remember, I remember being asked to leave. I was on two boards. I remember like having the very awkward conversation about like, you gotta come off the board if you're gonna take that job. And I was kind of shocked by that. But then it just became, I was so busy that it, I was almost too busy to care. And I also, it was good for me personally because I think being in a job where you're like, the only way out is to succeed is a very clarifying experience. Yeah.
0: You come in, you accept the offer, What's priority number one? Oh, like so
1: many things. Like truly they didn't have a PL. So one, we didn't know who worked there, and two, they didn't have a PNL. Um and three, no one lived in New York City except I think Dave had been in New York City for a month, if that. Um, there was probably two to three other people who were in New York. So the first priority was from my from my vantage point, just to assess like what what is this and listen. I think one thing I think when people take a job or you come in as an exec you're like i know how this is going to happen i know how this should be done and the reality is you really don't so a lot of it was just what are we working with what do we have and then the second piece of it was to start moving to podcasts which were you know just emerging and to start to move to video
0: let's Take a pause really quickly because I, I want to talk about the financial metrics. If you've alluded to Barstool's a bit of a ragtag media startup yeah. when you first joined It um, has a powerful brand now, yep. certainly would be considered a media juggernaut, if yeah. you will uh, walk us through that growth. And when you were really thought to yourself, hey, I, I might be onto something. Yeah. here." Yeah. Um, so we I remember getting when I started
1: before I joined the five year plan. And the five year plan was that Barstool, I think, was going to make $25 million in revenue by 2025. Um, When I got there, there was probably four or five advertisers. There was a couple beer sponsors. There was a lot of local sponsors in Boston um, or a handful of local sponsors in Boston. Um, The company, I think, was doing, let's say, between two and five million dollars in revenue, had about 12 employees, profitable but we were investing in this office. And so, you know, in the beginning I was very worried about payroll and I kind of kept to that. I hired like a really junior CFO who I was like, you're gonna be in the trench with me and like, we're gonna be working on these numbers. We beat that five-year plan, I want to say, in under two years. So at that point I was like, okay, like, we we got after a lot and did a lot really because of the Barstool fans. So. When I joined that summer, um, I think Twitter had bought Periscope and Facebook was launching Facebook Live and we started to go live and we would crash Periscope because we would bring so much audience to Periscope and then we would move everyone to Facebook Live and most of the audience would go and would crash Facebook Live. And it's because the talent was electric and people were wanted to watch them. And it was also because the fans would move, but it made people pay attention to us. Um, And by having people pay attention to us meant that I could monetize. I didn't ever want to have any dependency. I felt like the company was too risky and... Dependency on one platform, One platform or one source of revenue. So what I had really seen happen, you know, I was watching closely, like Verizon had launched Go90 around the time. I was watching a lot of other media companies like Complex and those guys. They were they basically were becoming work for hire production companies for Go90. And it put all their resources in the company and all their revenue on that one platform. So that was a mistake I was seeing happening in media. The other was like Vox was spending all this money on this state of the art CMS, and it was gonna be the CMS, like it was like this crazy monolithic CMS. And I was like, ugh, I don't wanna spend all my money building infrastructure, and I don't wanna put my future on one platform mostly because I didn't wanna get canceled. And so we built a really healthy t-shirt business or a commerce business, and we built a really healthy ad business. And then we added on to that. We built a content licensing business. We built a product licensing business. uh, We built a pay-per-view business. We built a live events business. We built all these businesses. Um, And so really the formula that drove the financial success was incredible creators and we were I think Barstool was influenced before influencers became a thing like we were really early on that we were so early on podcasting that we immediately jumped to number one hockey podcast number one golf podcast number one sports podcast number one lifestyle podcast number one entertainment podcast like we were able to jump to the top That scale enabled me to bring brands. Then we also promoted t-shirts or soft goods. And then the flywheel started, which enabled me to start more brands Get more audience, sell more t shirts, bring more advertisers, and on and on and it on. Became and further on. compounded. Yeah,
0: compounded. Yeah. Um, you talk about diversifying your revenue stream, which any good business uh, wizard does, but was there a particular period in time you can point to where you said, okay, I remember our revenue just was really turbocharged at this time, or any effort that you felt was really catalytic um, in terms of growth?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think for
0: us, the pandemic was
1: incredible. Um, I remember, you know, all I ever wanted was a car company to advertise with Barstool Sports. Like Why? truly, because I just was like, oh, we're never going to get one. Yeah. I remember where I, I was, it was kind of the latter. Like I wanted, we, I knew the alcohol people would advertise with us. And then it was like the fast food people, like really gunning for the fast food people. And then it was the CPG people and then it was the automotive people. And then a little bit tuck telco and financial, um, but when we signed Chevy, we, we, we announced a big partnership with Chevy and I was like, all right, this is a moment like we're big enough to take on, you know, Fortune 50 brand uh, or company. We have the scale, we're we're established enough where they, you know, I can't can't even tell you how many safeguards they have at GM about where they're advertising and what they're doing. And we made it through all that. But I would really say COVID was great for us because we, one, we weren't, we didn't have any, we could exist without studios. We took a massive unfair share from other media. So when ESPN kind of went dark and the other digital media companies kind of like, they were unionizing or they just were stagnant we were growing audience really rapidly and we were still selling very aggressively and at that point i was like we probably doubled at least in size over covid and at that point i was like gosh this could be a massive massive business when you think of barstool it's like a 300 million dollar ad business there's enough inventory on barstool for it to be a billion dollar ad business alone um So that was for me a moment of like, all right, this thing is really, really going to scale.
0: You keep mentioning the word community. Mm -hmm. Um, A number of media companies are trying to tap that community, um, get rid of some of that friction. How did you manage to do so, especially as you scale, especially as the community gets ever more expansive? Um, Communities are funny. Like I love communities because they are collection
1: of humans and they hate you and they love you and they're going to say wildly inappropriate things and they're going to be weird community is something you have to have feel for and i think i think where a lot of media companies go wrong is they give a marketer or someone the job of finding and creating community And it's like, you can't, you can't middle management community. You got to give community to the people who want to be in the trench and talk to you and look like you and share with you and argue with you and, um, celebrate you day in and day out. And, um. I think that's why it's been hard for media com- the more disintermediated the media company is from their consumer the tougher community will be so an espn or you know an nbc or cable you know broadcast or cable you know they there's so many steps to get to the consumer print same digital same um, the other thing about community is it's just like the internet now which is it's personality driven so if a brand is not ripe with personalities, or have noted personalities, or people that they're putting as the face of their brand, you can't com- create community without that. And I think there was a long time where, at least the digital, when I worked at Yahoo or AOL or really any media, like you didn't have a byline. The article was from Yahoo Finance. There's, there's not going to be a community around that if there's not a human in there.
0: Uh, you, you made an interesting point that as you know, the communities are made of humans and make wildly inappropriate comments. So I have to ask, what's the most wildly inappropriate oh, comments? I wonder mean, like the community has asked you. Yeah.
1: Like, oh, they're, na- I <laughs> and mean, for the all communities the scroll. are nasty. Oh, it's like you can't even say, like, they're nasty. Communities are amazing. They, um, we have a really talented person, PFT commenter, works for Barstool, who he created his whole persona around being um, a troll and an internet commenter. Um, an anonymous commenter, you know, like communities are funny. They're, they're wickedly smart. I mean, if you spend, spend a half day on Reddit and you're just like, oh my God, society
0: is terrible. We're screwed. And then it's
1: also like, but it's really funny.
0: How has the audience changed over the last decade or so? And, And the content too? A lot.
1: I mean, a lot, a lot. I think, um, what was good about what we did at Barstool was we adapted to where the most audience was at any point in time. Um, so it looked to be in podcast and then it looked to be in live streaming video. And then it looked to be, you know, if you look at since I joined at Barstool, the changes in media, Instagram when I joined was photos. And now Instagram is reels and stories and collections and albums. And it's, there's eight different formats on Instagram. Our business exploded because we found a way to make all eight and to publish as many times a day as humanly possible on all eight. And that changed the audience. You know, when TikTok really launched and came to be a thing, our audience aged down so dramatically much because the TikTok audience was young. Our podcast audience is in their 40s. You know, our TikTok audiences are in their teens, like early teens. The people who watch pizza reviews are 12 years old and the people who are, you know, reading the blog are in their 60s. So it's, the audience changed by virtue of the platforms changing and they changed based on the medium that we were creating.
0: Did you ever consider a premium service, a subscription service, something behind yes. a paywall? Yeah. We launched
1: a disastrous premium service called Gold. Um, so when I first got to Barstool, the, the whole mantra was grow, grow, grow. And then it was like, all right, you're gonna grow by getting on television. Yeah. So we went about getting on television. And in, I think 2017, we got on Sirius. We got on, we did a deal, I did a deal with Facebook. I did a deal with ESPN and Comedy Central. Facebook canceled us. ESPN obviously canceled us, Comedy Central canceled us, and Sirius stuck with us, which was a great move for us and I think for them. After that, it was very obvious that we were not going to be a mainstream television brand, which was okay, nor likely acquired by a media company. Um, we bought a brand and a box amateur boxing promoter called Rough and Rowdy, and we created an amateur boxing business. Um, and then we launched something called Gold, and Gold was a subscription product. So you belonged, you got a black card, you, could, you got discounts on merch, you could come tour the office, you got exclusive content. Um, really good idea. Not a good idea when you have creators and talent who just want to, they want to talk to as many people as humanly possible. And that was an untenable rub. I think there's companies now. You look at Barry Weiss, what she's building with Free Press. Like they started with subscription. They're attuned to subscription. They get the idea that narrow and deep is is as if not exponentially more valuable than broad and wide. Our people are we're just not conditioned that way. I think the
0: information is that same way. 100%. Interesting. Yeah. Uh, so as we already alluded to, you started your career or spent the bulk of your career marketing and advertising. Yeah. What skills, what did you translate from that background, from that experience to your role as CEO? I
1: love being a marketer. I really love marketing. I got very sick of being a marketer. I hated being a marketer. Why? Because I felt like I was just like putting lipstick on pigs and it was like, it like some like it would land in your lap and then it's like, what are you gonna do with this? And I was like, ugh, like that, I don't love that. I, Wasn't there a lot of landing in your lap at in a, but at way. least it was like not something i had to market i was like right. i just had to fix it like <laughs> which is really what i wanted and that's a right. great way to put it i remember i started my career I, I thought i wanted to be a lawyer and i didn't but um then i worked in advertising i worked on the in an agency and i was a buyer and it was awesome like i got wined and dined you went out all the time you got to go to the super bowl like it was great to spend money but You were only spending money on somebody else's stuff. And I remember getting really sick of that and frustrated by it. And I wanted to move into publishing where you could create the thing. And the move from marketing to being an operator is really that same. It's a chance to create the product. It's a chance to bring together the whole piece versus just thinking about the storytelling. I wish there were more. CEOs that came out of marketing. I think that that's a great training ground. I think it's underrated, to be honest. You look at like the Stanley Cup phenomenon right now, like the not the hockey, but like the cup. Do you have a Stanley? Yeah, yeah I do have a Stanley. Do. What color I is do. it? White. Oh, that's nice. Yes. I don't have a Stanley. I cannot it was a bring, gift, to be fair. Uh, okay, okay. Was, I couldn't bring myself my to spend yeah. $78 on a cup. I think it's ridiculous. Bonkers. yeah. But, The Stanley people caught lightning in a bottle. And I think it's partly because their leadership is very marketing oriented. And I think, you know, the bias for being a CEO or an executive is like, oh, you are a really good revenue driver or you're a great financial person. I think in the future, CEOs will have more of my composition than of the composition that they have now, because how you tell the story and how you think about the end use of whatever you have and how this is going to connect with someone, whether you have a B2B business or a B2C business, I think that's going to become more and more important.
0: And you think with CMOs in particular, because that role is also one that has become far more digitized? I think because it's more digital and it's
1: less, you know, the marketers used to be like, "Okay, here's the copy and here's the art direction and here's the ad. And now it's what is marketing anymore? It's influence, it's product development, it's community, it's reach, it's frequency, it's math, it's data. So I think the marketers are also way better trained.
0: Well, now they're calling it chief growth officers. Oh, is that they're what they're evolving. calling it? They're evolving the, oh, they're the evolving title. It? Yeah. All right. Yeah, well, yeah. that's cool. Which, which is a stepping a step yeah. stone to the, to, the, to the corner office. What is your leadership style?
1: Oh, OK. Um, I'm very passionate. I have a lot of energy. I like to like get in the stuff. I'm very impatient. I like collaboration. I like when people work together. Um, I like the people who do things. I'm not a big like manage up person and I don't like to be managed up to.
0: When you say you like people who do things, it sounds
1: obvious. What do you mean by that? I'm assuming it's more nuanced. Whatever the thing is. Like I want the person who's like making the thing. I like when people make things. That could be a financial analysis, that could be a piece of content, that could be a product. I don't like inertia and I don't like, I don't like people who hide problems. Um, And my management style is like, love your problems. Like, what's the problem? Let's go fix the problem. Um, I have a lot of passion about people, you know, like, let's be in the trench together. Let's win together.
0: What is next for you? I think that's the main question. Um, You say you sit on a number of boards. Are you looking to join another media company, maybe a sports company? Don't tell me you haven't thought about it. I
1: have thought about it. Um, The short answer is I don't know exactly. I I will tell you what I want uh, or what I'm hopeful for, I guess. Um, I I would like to stay in a company that is consumer. I I really, really, really love being in a consumer business. Um, I'm interested in working with, I've worked with predominantly men and loved every second of it, but I would like to work with uh, women. I'm eager to do that. I've I've really enjoyed that at Barstool and I would like the chance to do more of that. I'm interested in not working in sports. Um, I think I'll always be around sports. I love sports and that's you know where probably you know in the hindsight of my career that will be where my greatest impact was or hopefully not but now certainly yes but I'm interested in other categories um, I like physical products I like I would like to be in a, in a sector that makes something physical I think digital people like physical things like I like physical things. Um, I don't think I will go to a big company.
0: I was reading the comments on on X when you announced your departure. Several of the commentators said you should go to Disney and lend a helping hand. Would you ever consider that? No, I would last like six seconds at Disney. Can you imagine me at Disney?
1: (laughs) I would not last at Disney. I think there's real genius at Disney. I think Bob Iger seems like really legendary. I think there seems like there's, like, thousands of people who just suck up to executives and, like, push paper at Disney is kind of my observation. Like, I would not make it at the Mouse House.
0: <laughs> so, I would. to the Mouse House. <laughs> I can't
1: imagine. Can you imagine? I would not make it. No. Interesting. I don't uh, want that. I think that's where, like, I'd rather make no money yeah. ever again and yeah. build something
0: than be like, you know, I'm a cog in a right. massive machine. That's quite solid. Do you want another project a turnaround story and do you think you could replicate what you did at barstool yet again no i don't think no. barstool is replicatable
1: i think barstool is a unicorn mm-hmm. um i think there will be a lot of like i see it now just even since i resigned as people are like oh just you know obviously you can make barstool for us and it's like you can't like that was a once in a lifetime once in a moment alchemy of things now there will be a another barstool of the future but No one will be able to recreate what we created, mostly I think because of the fans, two, because of Dave Portnoy. And then three is that the time, like I was saying to someone this morning, like to break through with a media brand in 2024 is so hard compared to what it was in 2016. Like there's just no comparison. Um, But I do think that I'm like harder, sharper, stronger from this experience and I will be able to take the machine of what we built for this experience and bring that somewhere else.
0: Any desire to go down the entrepreneurial route? Like start something myself? Create something yourself. Oh I don't think so Ruth. No. No.
1: No. I think I'm better with like something. I mean you like kind of somebody- did it.
0: Definitely, yeah. but
1: I need like a weirdo with an idea. Yeah, yeah. I like to be with like the, a weirdo and an idea.
0: Well, let's talk what, about that that's weirdo. That's what I'm looking for. Let's, let's talk about that okay. weirdo with the idea. You have someone like Dave Portnoy, who is known as this pugnacious, loudmouth guy. He's certainly a personality. In his farewell dispatch to you, he admitted that he's courted controversy over the years, including sexual misconduct allegations. Were you ever worried that would taint you in any way? Um, that that could potentially stain your professional aspirations, the work you've done already?
1: Uh, I'm sure it has, to be honest. Like I think I would be lying and naive to say that there will be people who will not be the Disney conversation. Like there is no one from the Walt Disney Company who's calling me because, probably because I've worked with Dave and I worked at Barstool Sports and I'm okay with that. Like I'm, I'm actually great with that you know as barstool became bigger and our personalities became bigger they started to make bigger and bigger people upset or uncomfortable which then rained back down on barstool so i would say i'm definitely people will always think either positively or negatively of me because of this experience and i'm i'm like very okay with that
0: Has it been a long time coming or since the very beginning? Oh, I think from the beginning. Yeah, yeah, I think from the
1: beginning. And that was part of it. You know, like we have this slogan at Barso, which we used for the Patriots, which is like they hate us because they ain't us. And it's like there will always be a level of that. This was such a challenger brand. Like we were so aggressively trying to eat everybody else's lunch and did it and were fabulously successful at it. Now, look, I hope people can see me for who I am and what I created and why that was so special and how much I loved it and gave myself to it and to give me a chance to you know, to help them or to do what's next. But I also, I think I'm old enough at this point, which is like, I don't wanna be with people who don't wanna be with me.
0: You mentioned the fact that you, know, you have big personalities, certainly Dave Portnoy mm-hmm. is one of them. You have people with these big bylines, they build and foster community. You yourself seem to have stayed a bit out of the fray as CEO. Was that intentional? Is it your personal brand marketing strategy?
1: Oh, yeah, I'm way more in the fray than I would ever like
0: to be. I felt like um,
1: when I was trying to mainstream Barstool and grow Barstool that there needed to be, I needed to build my brand, because building my brand associated with barstool brand Barstool's brand would help Barstool, mm-hmm. and I really was hungry like to get better advertisers and get bigger partners and legitimize the business, and I felt like I would have to use myself to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, so I built a bigger brand presence, I think than I would have mm-hmm. wanted to. It's actually one of the things I'm looking forward to after this gig is like to not have a front-facing job like I like I do I probably get 150 to 200 work advice questions every week like I like doing that the videos are kind of stupid they're not that great but I like answering work questions I like work um, I've always loved to work um, so I think then my next gig will not need to probably for me to be this public and I, I'm, I'm excited for that
0: have you ever thought about quitting prior to this time no no no, this really was—you felt the perfect moment for you.
1: I even now am like, oof, I'm gonna miss it so much. I mean, there's much. still time. No, there's <laughs> no, circle I'm back sorry. on the two week notice. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah, exactly. Oh, can I come back? Yeah. Um,
1: no, I think it. I feel so good about it. I think I wouldn't have ever left if I didn't feel good about it.
0: After acquiring a bar stool. Uh, For for $1, Portnoy told Fox Business that for the first time in a while, Barstool won't have to watch what it says, how it talks, what it does, which you you kind of alluded to. And he said, quote, unquote, it's back to the pirate ship. You would think you'd want to be on that pirate ship now that Barstool is clear of restrictions and can operate without all that regulatory and investor pressure.
1: Yeah. I mean, I had seven years on the pirate ship. Like, I've been on the pirate ship. I love the pirate ship. But I also, you know, I wanted to sail new seas if we're going with the analogy and do like, I think that the great thing about Barstool is it's exactly back to where it should be. Mm-hmm. And it's exactly right that it's in Dave's stead. And you don't need someone like me to stay the status quo. Like I'm, I'm not your girl. If it's like, let's just stay the status quo. This is good as is. I love that it's good where it is, and I feel so proud about how we got it here. And I loved the journey, you know, I'm in it for the journey. Like, I think the journey of it was incredible, but you don't need a me for that, you know? Fair enough. Maybe I'll find a new pirate ship.
0: Uh, You finally, you said in your exit memo to employees that you feel as though you've accomplished what you set out to do at Barstool. What did you set out to do at Barstool?
1: Oh, I set out to grow it and establish it and make it be, be part of its legacy, like make sure this thing lasts forever.
0: When you do take on your next role, and these, these are quick answers, Okay, okay. Just really, really fast. When you do take on your next role, whatever that may be, are you still going to text prospective hires on weekends to see if they will respond right away? No, that, oh, that's funny, Ruth, you went into the archives on that one. Um,
1: this was very funny where <laughs> this was like very barstool where like people were just real pissed off about that New York Times article. But I needed people at Barstool to be responsive on the weekends because mostly when the shit hit the fan or stuff went wrong, it was on nights or weekends. And if you couldn't, if you didn't want that life, this was not gonna be a good job for you. Going forward, I think that's probably true of any job in sports or in entertainment, but I think for me, that's probably not gonna be necessary going forward.
0: All right, what was your biggest obstacle while Barstool CEO, how did you overcome it? Um, The biggest obstacle was just speed. It was
1: like we were moving so fast and doing so much so quickly that everything was broken all the time.
0: How many cups of coffee do you drink a day, if any? Oh,
1: I'm like a three cup of coffee person. What are you, Ruth?
0: Zero. Oh, really? I'll do no a coffee? espresso martini, but I, I okay. That, okay. <laughs> really? <laughs> no, no, no. Are you coffee. like a tea person? I am. Okay. I, yeah, I, I can do tea, but negligible like in the caffeine. morning, you can just get oh, up I without go, like go for a five mile run, and I'm oh, yeah, Ruth. I'm, I'm one of the, I'm the worst. You I'm are the absolute worst.
1: <laughs> That's <laughs>
0: amazing. Every day. Every day. Every Rain day. or shine. Rain or shine.
1: Outside or on the treadmill.
0: Oh, outside, Central okay. Park. Okay, amazing, yeah, yeah, yeah. that's fine. Da- or down the West Side Highway. Uh, best or favorite sports event to attend live? Ooh,
1: I like a hockey game. Like I'm it? partial to hockey. Okay. Um, I think hockey is just like a very violent, great sport. There's so much to a hockey game. Yeah. So I, th- I would go play, I what, would go see what's hockey. What's
0: your team? Okay. I am a sports. Bruins okay.
1: fan, but I would say that since living in New York, I do like the Rangers. Okay.
0: All right, last couple of questions. Favorite content creator? Oh, you can't ask me that, Ruth. Um, I'd have to say Dave. Okay, kind of a suck up answer. But... I know, but he's so
1: funny. Besides and it Dave, he does so
0: much. Besides Dave, um, I'm partial to Alex Earl.
1: I do like Alex Earl, but I think she's kind of one note. I'm like, I don't know what else. Like, I get the like, wake up with me. Um, I do like Alex Cooper. Eyes do I. Eye. I really like Daddy Alex gang. Cooper. I love the Daddy Gang. Yeah. Um, I like Barry Weiss. I think Barry's kind of a funny, she's a little Dave-esque where she's like the editor and the personality. Uh, Best
0: and worst leadership advice you've received?
1: Oh, okay, great question. Um, Best leadership advice I've ever received um, is that is from Peter Chernin and it's advice that he got from Rupert Murdoch, which is that it's all about willpower. Mm -hmm. It's just your willpower. Like willpower can can solve most anything. And the worst piece of leadership advice, um, I mean, there's a lot of bad leadership advice. Um, I think it's to just, you know, to just, to hide your problems.
0: Yeah, you, you seem to be a very anti people who hide problems I hate and obfuscate. problems. <laughs> yeah. One, I'm just like, it's
1: interesting to talk about problems. Like, I don't really like to gossip much, but I do love to talk about problems. And that way that you work. can
0: att- attack, attack the, uh, find yeah. solutions. One thing you'll miss most at Barstool mm, I'll definitely miss the
1: people, yeah. and then I will miss just how unconventional it is. Yeah. That's everything for me. All right.